everyone. Welcome to another episode of Cultured and Loud. My name is Scott and I'm here with my co-host Christine. Hey y'all. All right, I am super excited to introduce the special guests for uh, today's episode. They are two pretty good friends of mine. And um, how would I describe their, their relationship? Um, so they're both very, very musically talented. Um, and actually, they are like Matt Marr and Adria Saad. Uh, the, <laughs> what an incredible dynamic duel. And they're, they're just two of the sweetest people um, that I know. So let's bring on Connor and Rachel Steinhardt. Hey, guys. Hello. Hey. Hello. Thank you for that very sweet introduction, Scott. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you guys on. My gosh. Love you. you guys. Love you guys so much. Love you too. We're pumped to be here. Yeah. This, this yeah. is our um, our podcast debut. So, I mean, I don't really know what to do, but I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Learn as we go. You guys yeah. are great models of what to oh, do. Oh, definitely. We're, we're all in this together here. <laughs> yeah, how about we start off with um, you know, just you guys just talking, telling, telling our listeners a little bit about yourselves. Well, we're married. Um, we 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 got married um, this February, about two weeks before everything started shutting down. So the timing was perfect. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, what else is there to say? Um, uh, I. Uh, I've been a musician my my whole life. I graduated from Lindenwood with a uh, music degree. Um, I've been in several different rock bands and musical projects and and all kinds of things. And uh, uh, I love playing music for the church. Um, it's it's like my 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 biggest passion. And then when I met Rachel, she was also singing for the church. Um, and uh, we just uh, we fell in love and we started playing a lot of music together and. Um, eventually started a little, our little acoustic duo. Um, Amidst like quarantine and COVID. So not the greatest starting time, <laughs> but hey, we've had a couple gigs. That says something. Yeah. <laughs> we, were, we were like, okay, I think we have all this, we have all this music now. Um, we can get it all planned out. We're finally ready to start performing and plan, playing out. And then everything shut down. <laughs> no, no eating in restaurants, no live yeah. performances, but we've had a couple. Um, yeah, so our acoustic duo name is super simple, Connor and Rachel, because it's just easy, you know, why not? Yeah, find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Connor and Rachel. All those fun things. Um, and then, yeah, for me, um, I was a youth group kid like Connor. That's, like, also where we met. So we met mm -hmm. through doing music stuff together and just seeing each other at youth group events and stuff. Um, and I am an occupational therapy assistant. I have two jobs. One's with young adults with disabilities, where I teach them all things adulting. Um, so everything they need to live on their own for the first time. And it's really cool. It's a fun job. And then I work at a rehab hospital, um, which is like the more technical side of OT and therapy and things like that. Um, but yeah, I guess that's about all about us. Yep. Yeah, you know, you know, just dealing with COVID and, you know, shutdown and everything is definitely, you know, been tough for, for all of us. And I know that's an understatement. Um, Rachel, actually, um, something that stood out to me um, about what you said, you know, it's kind of what you're doing with occupational therapy. Um, so how is that world looking um, right now <laughs> during COVID times? <laughs> kind of odd. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, for especially since um, what I do involves going into people's homes and like 
being up close and personal with them and like over their shoulder when I'm teaching them how to cook or how to do finances and budget and all those things. Um, so that's been very difficult to do it behind a screen. We had about six or seven months of just doing it that way. And I had some clients who would, um, oh my gosh, like four hour visits became 30 minutes. Like they would get burned out real quick, which I would understand. I mean, I think we've all experienced that zoom fatigue, just staring at a screen forever. It gets old. (laughs) Um, so to their, to their face, I'd be like, I don't blame y'all. It's cool. We can meet for 30 minutes. And then my bosses would be like, Rachel, what's going on with your clients? And I'd be like, they don't want to zoom. I don't know what to do. So (laughs) that was an interesting thing to try to balance is like the productivity with also just trying to be a human to a fellow human and be compassionate with where they're at. Cause I get it. It's hard. So that was probably the hardest thing is like being professional, but also really feeling for my people and they have disabilities on top of it. So I, I can't stare at a screen for four hours. I shouldn't expect them to. So that was really hard at first. We're back in person now, just with all these precautions, yeah. um, mask wearing, temperature checks, all that fun stuff. Um, the rehab hospital, just because hospital, I'm sure you won't be surprised that that hasn't really changed. We just wear fancier masks when we're with COVID <laughs> patients or the patients that just got cleared for COVID versus the folks that haven't had it yet. Um, and I'm definitely all up in their grills. I have to be, because <laughs> some of them just need a lot of help with like moving around and ambulation and stuff like that. And that's part of the job. So at first I was really freaked out about it, but at this point I just pray every day that I don't get it and that I keep the people around me safe. Um, But yeah, it's been a whirlwind to try to adapt to everything. I'm sure you guys have experienced that too, just even amidst being in school and all of that. It's been interesting to see how creative we've had to get. Mm -hmm. I want to say something else about the temperature checks. Um, When, 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 you first started doing the um the like oh, yeah. the the in-person visits again after after a little while of just working remotely she, she had these uh, um thermometer test yeah, strips we, we didn't have the infrared fancy thermometer at the time so it was like little test strips you'd like put them on your head and they would turn a certain color if if your temperature was good and she they would leave like black oh, marks wow. I, would, I would come home with like a black stripe on my forehead every day and <laughs> no uh, no other of my clients had that problem like do i just sweat like crazy or something like I feel disgusting I'm just gross I think of John Mulaney when he's like I'm just gross all the time in like one of his shorts or what, what does he say something like that yeah one of, one of his specials it cracks me up I'm just gross he's like describing his age as being the age of gross and I'm like I'm kind of feeling that way or starting to yeah I would call them the mood ring strips because they would they would turn colors like a mood ring to to gauge your temperature and they didn't even really do their job. You had to like do math to figure out the temperature of someone. And I'm like, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for simple math. What the heck? <laughs> it was a fun time. So very quickly, my nonprofit was like, we got that the, we get that these were cheaper, but we're gonna we're gonna pitch those and try something else. <laughs> it was entertaining for a little while. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I know that you guys mentioned that like you had just like started launching like your acoustic duo, like right when the world was like starting to close. So how's like creating music been looking in quarantine? And like, I know you mentioned you did a couple um, performances. Uh, yeah, so um, YouTube has been a big blessing. We've been able to get a couple of things out on YouTube. Um, uh, that's been really cool. Um, and also just like paying attention to what what places are are still able to be open like both of the both of the live shows that we've had together have been in St. Charles County 
Um, in fact, they've both been at the same place, um, a place owned by a friend um, mm -hmm. that serves mocktails, the, the Mocktail Lounge on Main Street, St. Charles. It's a really neat place. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, because we were able to, like, just stay on top of what's open and what's not, um, that, that's kind of been good. But on the other hand, like, you know, if we start if we start emailing places in St. Charles and being like, hey, is it okay if we play at your place? And then like a month later, you know, they shut down too. Like we can't predict that. Yeah. And it's, so it's, it's kind of been a little paralyzing for us. We don't really know what to do. Yeah, like there's a lot of places we know we want to reach out to. Um, and we've been very blessed too by having friends that um, frequent places enough that maybe they don't know the owners and can put in a good word for us, which is great. We realize not all musicians have that leverage and help. Mm -hmm. um, but we've also realized you can only make a first impression one time. So do we want to do it now and maybe not have a gig for half a year and they forget about us? Or do we just, you know, try to patiently wait um, and, and just to see what happens? But in the end, like though we both met through doing music, I think it's been so helpful to um, just learn more about our sound together through the process, even if we don't have gigs, um, we at least have we at least have that to work on. And that alone takes so much work on realizing just to, even though we are married, you think we'd have a leg up with <laughs> how, how easy it could be to understand each other musically, but it's, it's hard. Um, and to get like just the right sound we want. I see when I go live now, I'm like, oh, is that, th those people must've been together for, or practiced for 30 years. It shows because they're, they clicked so well. And I'm sure Scott, you can even yeah. say tons about that too being a fellow musician and you can just hear it sometimes i do yes <laughs> the, the music the music really is the silver lining of it all though because like i mean i was bad at marketing even before the virus so now, <laughs> like now i'm hopeless but the um but but the music the music is still good and that's what matters very true mm -hmm. yeah connor I, I totally relate to that just the whole idea of like self-promotion. It's so oh, yeah. hard. <laughs> it's so hard. It's so hard. <laughs> but yeah, that, that's awesome. Um, and Connor, uh, just like knowing you for a long time, you know, we, we both went to the same high school and um, I always knew you as someone who was very you know, passionate about music. And I would always see you in the band room, uh, just jamming out and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, this is kind of like a question for, for the both of you. Um, was going into music something that you guys, you know, have always wanted to do? Do you want to ask that one first? Sure, yeah. Um, deep down, a part of me always had. Um, but I've had lots of confidence issues related to music my, my whole life, pretty much, until I'd say, like, middle of high school, whenever I... Um, voluntarily decided to do like solo ensemble competitions. I don't know if y'all have heard of, of those, but um, I went to a public school. So most kids that sang in the choirs just didn't care. <laughs> they just wanted their, their credit and they wanted a piece out. Uh, and what made it even harder was like, oh my gosh, I remember our, our bass section was always flat because we just find the guys whose voices had matured and were low and they couldn't like sustain a note properly for the lives of them and I was so frustrated to the point where I was like you know what clearly I'm passionate about this enough I can compare like my passion to others who just didn't care as much and I was like I should do something more about it and I think that's when my confidence slowly started to emerge and I would do competition stuff and just hearing from somebody who didn't know me at all give honest feedback that was 
honestly really kind and like really supportive and like showed me on paper, black and white, that I have a future in this, I think was very helpful. Um, that on top of, um, I've sung for the noon band at my parish, St. Catherine Labaret, for many years, like probably since I was 12 or 13. Since tech, like before I was technically supposed to, so don't tell anybody. <laughs> I was I was supposed to technically like already be in high school. <laughs> yeah. But but here we are. Um, but that's been huge too. Carl Zimmerman's the leader of that band, and he he was he's like I call him a musical dad. Um mm-hmm. he's helped me learn so much and has still has instilled so much faith in me that that I I can I can actually achieve in this and actually do well at it. And I started cantering young. So I think overcoming my stage fright around that same time was huge for me too. And it was just something that I'd always loved to do, but I just kept doubting. Like right when the time came to think of college, I was like, there's no way I could actually do this for a living. There's just no way. So I never uh, never did it in college. Clearly, if I chose OT, I chose like the safer route, if you want to call it that. Um, but that's also kind of part of my upbringing was just like pick a job that's stable and you'll be successful in and that'll honestly just kind of be easy peasy in terms of money coming in and you'll be you'll be good and set so any artistry and exploring my creative side wasn't really super encouraged so that was also part of it so to now be able to be married to somebody who that's like his number one thing after God is um well and our marriage Oh, that's important. But after those two things, his music and and doing music for the greater glory of God, I think has been huge. Like he's definitely Connor's definitely helped me see how possible that is. And now I kind of have dreams of hopefully doing more of it with him and that becoming kind of some form of stable income for our hopefully growing family. Yeah. And your answer? Yours is so much simpler. Mine was like a whole evolution and complicated, but that's just me in a nutshell. <laughs> well, I, I I did a little bit of evolving too. I'd say I'd say since since about um since about fourth grade, I knew that I wanted to do music for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, the funny thing is, um, uh, back in fourth grade, I didn't even play the guitar or the bass. My first instrument was the oboe. Um, <laughs> oh, wow! <laughs> I did not Look, know that. Right. <laughs> Look yeah. out, ladies. <laughs> Here comes the oboe player. <laughs> Here comes oboe man. <laughs> right. And and I really I really liked it at first. You know, and I I was like, maybe I maybe I can do this. Maybe I can like, you know, be in be in the symphony as an oboe player. Um and that was kind of like the form that my dream was taking back then. Um like I, I ever since then I kind of always knew that I wanted to play music for a living, but the form, like I never could guess the form that that would take, and that's been always evolving. Um, I uh, eventually, um, eventually, when I was playing the oboe, I heard about another instrument called the bassoon, and it was like, it, it was like the the oboe's cool older brother. Um, <laughs> so, so I was like, I want to learn the bassoon, and I. I I asked my band director if, if I could, and she said, well, we don't have a bassoon right now, but, um, but take this bass and, um, and learn to play it. And that way you can learn to read bass clef in case we ever do get a, get a bassoon. And in the meantime, you can join the jazz band because we need a bass player. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- once I picked up the bass, like that was, that was kind of it. Like, Love at first sight. Yeah. First play. <laughs> Either one. <laughs> yeah, that, then I wanted to be a bass player. And I, uh, um, um, aside from all the jazz that I was learning, I was learning to play all these, all these, you know, 
rock bands. Like I grew up listening to my dad's Rush records, so I always wanted to play Rush. I was learning like Guns N' Roses. I remember there was a moment in like probably seventh grade where I um, I learned how to play uh, Sweet Child of Mine on the bass. And it occurred to me like the, um, the guy from Guns N' Roses, the bass player is making a really good living. And I just played the exact music that he played. So like, does that mean I can make a living? <laughs> I, that was kind of like where my thoughts were going. And so I started getting involved in rock bands and, um, and, and all these kinds of things. You know, I was in a rock band in, in grade school uh, and another one in high school, two more in high school. Um, and in, in high school also, I started getting interested in liturgical music. Um, I was being mentored by a, um, a great musician named Michael James Meddy. Um, and uh, eventually I you know, got in touch with Kyle Hilsing and, and he became kind of a mentor for me also. And um, there wasn't, um, a lot of the time there wasn't that much demand for a bass player. So I learned to play guitar and I learned to sing and like, it's, it's always evolving um, and it still is. And like now, I mean, I'm, I, I'm still, I think if I have to pick an instrument that I'm best at, it's still the bass, but I never really, like I don't get a lot of opportunities to play the bass anymore. I, it's always guitar and singing. Um, but it's still music. Like I know for me, um, <clears throat> I mean, also growing up, um, I started playing piano when I was six, and um, that, like at that at that point, um, you know, that was you know just something in the back of my mind that hey, maybe I could you know do this um, in the in the future, um, you know, just maybe just make my life out of, out of music, um, <laughs> and then you know just. I kind of just, I definitely relate to uh, what Ra Rachel was saying earlier about just like the whole um, find, you know, find a career that's, that's stable, that um, gives you an income and you know, you're, you're set. And yeah, uh, it was, you know, it was interesting. I, I know I've, I've said this a, a whole bunch on the, the podcast, but uh, before going into pharmacy, I considered, you know, being either a music major or an English major. <laughs> Um, <laughs> very, very stark contrast, you know, between like, those, certainly those two worlds. Um, but yeah, just like seeing like where I am now, I think, you know, I'm where I, I need to be. And I just love music and like the arts as being one of those things in my life that just helped me to be grounded. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, well, Connor, you remember going to SLU. It's about, you know, the perfect balance between the science, religion, and the arts. And yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that, that's just becoming more real, like, to me now. And so it's just, like, integral to, like, who I am. It, it, it's a great blessing that we don't just have, have to do one thing in life, you know? Like, just, yeah. j just because you're, a, um, you're an engineer or a, um, a pharmacist doesn't mean you can't also be... Mm -hmm. uh, a musician or a poet. Mm -hmm. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, and I'm the CEO of starting a million projects um, and picking up. You're like, preach, yes. Yeah, I was like, I'm doing one thing at once. <laughs> for sure, very much on that bandwagon. Um, even though, like, I know for me, music has definitely been something that's a little bit more in the backseat of my life now. I played a lot when I was little. Um, 
which is really interesting. I had the most eccentric piano teacher quite possibly on the planet. Um, um, <laughs> I'm excited to hear about this. Um, so she was my neighbor and she was a widow and she was going through like a really tough time when I moved in next door. And she was like, I'm gonna teach you piano. And I was like, oh, like, don't mess it. Like, I don't have patience for that. It's not for me. You know, I like to read really fast. Like, I don't, I don't know if this music thing is it. But then my parents somehow found this article that was like, if you become, like, music helps, like, prepare kids for medical school because it teaches them, like, patience and stuff like that. And they're like, you're going to piano lessons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> years and years. It's a natural thought progression, yeah. Mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> I was going over, like, next door to her house and, like, we'd play things. And I wasn't the worst in the world, but I also was not even close to the best. Um, I was quite the contrarian. Um, I like to play things my style, my pace. Like some weeks I was like, I could do every single thing on this book, like right now. And other weeks I was like, you know, I'm not feeling it. And like, part of me knows that like deep down I was there for her sake, just because like she was living alone and like really needed like company and stuff. Um, but I remember at my very last, like recital that I ever did, I think it was in middle school. Um, being the contrarian that I am, I was like, I'm not going to play Beethoven or Mozart like any of these basic kids. Like, I'm playing Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> I get called out right here. That's fine. Like, you can play Taylor Swift. Like, whatever. Like, I don't really care what you do. And he's like, just pick a song. And I was like, okay, but I know all of Taylor Swift discography. Like, because she was the artist that, like, I first started listening to when I was in the second grade, um, and at this point, I'm, like, a seventh or eighth grader, so I know, like, every song that's come out. Granted, like, I have not nearly enough life experience to understand them, but I know that they're, like, lyrically pleasing. So, <laughs> them. To describe it. Um, <laughs> and I was, like, this is what I'm playing for the recital. Like, I put together my own arrangement, like, this is what we're playing, um, and she was, like, okay, Christine, um, so we played it. <laughs> my way out um, that was you know ended with a bang as always um and lately I think I've been getting back into more like playing like recreationally and like just for fun um yes, she has God's been attempting to teach me how to play chords um I taught her a couple of praise and worship songs too awesome. nice yes yeah go you for even getting back into it that's that's something that like I hope for anybody that's been involved in music or any kind of art or any any outlet, even sports, anything that's like really fulfilled them, I hope that they realize as an adult, and I hope I continue to realize this, that <laughs> it is like no matter how crazy or busy life can get, it's not worth sacrificing that because it makes us so much better, I think, in the other areas of our life if we're able to like fuel ourselves and feed ourselves with those kinds of things. So that's awesome, Christine, that you're able to pick this back. It in a non-competitive way is like yeah. really interesting yeah. too. Just because like growing up, I know like people in like sports or like people in, oh, I was in debate in high school. So I lived for that cutthroat uh, competitive environment. But I like, <laughs> like band and orchestra, like it was always like very competitive, and very like all about like getting like good scores and like good rankings and like being first chair in the orchestra um, kind of deal. So I think it's really fun to come back in like a place in my life where like, you know, like there's no need to be like first chair to get like ones on my solos. Um, it's just playing it like for myself, which is like a really interesting concept. Cause I think like as a society, we're kind of conditioned very early on to like be very achievement, like achievement oriented. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it can like bring out at least like, 
I don't know, for me on top of like doing some music stuff growing up, I was a performer. Like I, I danced most of my life and I've done like some theater productions and stuff, which though I really did enjoy and like was like in a sense for me, cause I loved it. I never realized until like that, that being gone and having to do it for myself, kind of like you're saying, Christine, like getting re back in, involved with this kind of thing for your own sake and to make yourself happy. I didn't realize how, how, I guess what my intentions were before. Like there were some things that I was like, wow, I didn't realize how much I wanted attention through that. Or, yeah. you know what I mean? It's, which is interesting yeah. to be like, now no one's watching me and it's tempting to just drop it. But it's like, but I said this was fulfilling for me. Is it really, you know? Like, it makes you like second guess your motives and why you ever did some sort of outlet to begin with, which I don't know, maybe it's part of just growing up and part of just maturing, asking those questions, but I think it's worth it. You know, if we're going to get involved in something that we said we loved, you know, mm -hmm. like, why am I doing this kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty important question. Cause I know um, quite recently um, Wally and I were actually talking about music ministry and um, just like, you know, just <clears throat> how like difficult sometimes is, you know, to, to balance like between you know, being like a performer versus someone who's leading praise and worship. Um, mm. So yeah, what, what are your guys' thoughts like on that? How do you kind of like balance that? Um, so I, 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 don't th I don't think it is for me, it's not really much of a balancing act because they're so different, um, especially in the context of, um, of the mass, which is, you know, where, where we find ourselves playing a lot of music is, you know, for, for the mass. Um, uh, when, when we're performing somewhere, um, the goal is for everybody's attention to be focused on us. And we have all these different techniques for bringing that about. We, have, uh, you know, um, we have all these fast passages and like, um, visual things and, and, you know, tech, techniques um, to keep everyone's attention focused on us. Um, in the mass, that's exactly what I don't want. Uh, I, I want everyone's attention to be focused on the altar. If, if people are looking at me, I've done something wrong. Um, and so it's, um, because, because it's a different goal, um, we have different techniques for bringing it about. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I think I struggle with it more, which is why I turn to you. So I, I feel you, Scott, what you and Wally were talking about with just striking the balance. Um, and honestly, I think like starting with, um, with like the prayer um, that I do give like the music as a service to the people present and whether it is a secular set or in church, like um, not just it be for me, but like have some sort of greater meaning than that, you know? Um, Anytime, like I kind of have to have that prayer beforehand, I notice a difference in how I perform. I notice it's less egocentric and more for other people. Um, and I think also too, that helps during the mass. Like I can tell like the masses were like halfway through, I was just totally focused on playing the right notes and I was totally not there. And I think sometimes it happens. I'm sure you notice that too. And you Wally, have talked about it where there's times where if you didn't rehearse the music or you just don't know what's going on or you're a great leader, but let's say you have a leader that is not with it, <laughs> just doesn't know, how, doesn't know how to communicate, uh -huh. then, you know, high stress, you gotta, you gotta just do what you gotta do. Um, mm -hmm. And if performing the music well is what keeps people from focusing on you, if that's what you don't want, you know, then you gotta do that. But um, 
for me, I think it just starts with prayer and trying to like center myself um, in the correct state of mind first. And then typically kind of from that can, can flow kind of that balance you're talking about between like being a performer and doing it for yourself um, or as a, as a form of prayer or just enjoyment, if it is like a, a cover set or something like that. But I'm curious to know what your thoughts were based on what you and Wally had talked about. Yeah, sure. Um, like I, I've definitely been where you were, Rachel. Um, I know just starting in music ministry, um, just like being so focused on making sure I play the right notes, get the right, get the timing down and, and all of that. And um, <clears throat> yeah, just like looking at where I am now and just like how much I've grown and progressed. Um, I think a lot of it for me um, definitely has to do with um, intentionality, like, um, like Connor was, was saying. Um, just getting into that that mindset of um, you know it's not all about me. Um, like I know the goal for like my music is to you know, just to share with with people something that I think is really beautiful, and um, just have them encounter beauty and goodness. And I'm just the instrument that's like delivering it. Um, like here it is. You, you take 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 that in. Take that in. Don't don't take me in. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, just like encounter that. And um, yeah, it goes the same way for like praise and worship. Um, God's coming through this music. This music is for God as well. Um, you know, it's, it's both ways. And it's kind of like like the the idea of like being a stagehand. You know, we're letting God, you know, take the stage and do his beautiful work where, you know, we're just like taking care of like the logistical stuff and behind the scenes. So love that image. Yeah. Yeah, yeah same here. Also, yeah, so much more pressure on us for doing the job as like perfectly as possible or pristinely as possible. Um, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I love that. Yeah. I find that really, really interesting coming from like your musical perspective. Cause I know growing up, I did liturgical dance, um, <laughs> in the choir for a little bit and, uh, was an altar server for a really cool minute. And like, those are all like, kind of like more like behind the scenes type work at mass. But like, I remember growing up, like I was always so freaked out about messing up and like, obviously you want to be able to focus on the mass. You want to be focused on like what's actually happening, but like you kind of get caught up in like your task and your role in it. But I know that like, at times I really struggled with that balance. Cause like things like altar servers, you don't notice good altar servers, but you definitely notice a bad one. Like when like, <laughs> <laughs> you don't notice it when someone's doing everything right. But like the second a kid like trips or goes at the wrong time, everyone in the church notices. Um, and it's just like a thing mm -hmm. or like when the lector like doesn't go up at the right time or is reading way too fast or too slow. Um, and like, it's weird, but like in the same way, like, I don't know for you, but like I've always kind of had like weird, like not like debilitating straight stripe, like always like right before something like, you know, like I'm like, like my heart's like super pounding. Like I am only focusing on like doing this like next thing right that I don't know for a lot of times, like growing up when I was doing all that stuff and like doing like good, like service work, I was also really struggling because like I was making things about me and not messing up um, to an aggressive extent. Well, I think, I, I think that is really natural. Like, I remember when I first started leading music at Mass, um, it, you know, I, I had already been performing for years at this time, and I, I didn't really struggle with stage fright much. But, like, when you're, 
like when you when you're at mass and you're like you're praying you're you're playing in front of the lord like whoa you know that's it's, it's it's more pressure and for a long time i had a um i had nerves about about playing at mass that i didn't have anywhere else hmm. that's funny i think i have the opposite experience <laughs> Where in mass, it's like, I would feel like you do, Christine, like we were saying, like the uh, like intense heart pounding, like, mm -hmm. like if I had a solo, especially like, you know, you feel at that moment, mm -hmm. most pressure is on you because you're the one like carrying most of the song. Um, and my heart would just be pounding. And then like the second I would be like a measure or two in, it would stop. Mm -hmm. um, but that took years of like just getting used to, I guess, singing in church around people. But when it comes to like, when I did do theater and I was dancing and singing like on stage or whatever, that was like, I don't know why, but like I, I sensed so much more pressure then than I've ever had in church. But I think that's because um, I kind of, I'm, I'm actually, I'm definitely a perfectionist <laughs> to some degree. And I don't know if that's what you're speaking to, Christine. Well, you two can be best friends. Yeah, we can just, we just talk about our struggles with perfectionism for like an hour at least. <laughs> But because of that, like, but it, it was probably because of the people around me, honestly, like, I'm sure you've heard of like Dance Moms. I mean, there's shows about them for reasons. They're psychopaths, let's be real. <laughs> if you're a dance mom out there, I apologize. You're probably great, but <laughs> some of them are crazy. Um, but I just remember like being so young and being critiqued for my dancing and like just physical appearance so much. And it was so stressful. And I was like, shoot, if you're critiquing me for this stuff that much, like, God forbid I trip on stage, you know? So gosh, when I was performing, like, I was like, there's all these eyeballs looking for those mistakes, like you guys are saying. Um, and just knowing that God's so much more merciful and understanding than people can be. I think that's what stressed me out the most about stage performing is like, it's a cut and throat business to be a performer or to do anything in the arts, you know? Um, and that pressure is so real. But when you walk into a church, that pressure is different because it's not for you or the other people. You want to help them pray, but you're doing it for God. And he is a very generous reviewer. Yes. <laughs> so that's great. <laughs> I, did hear, I did hear something in a, um, a couple of things in, in school um, back when I was studying music uh, in college that I, that I thought really helped with kind of like the stage fright thing. One of them was the fact that like, like if somebody has come to see a performance like like one of the shows you're in like somebody has come to see it they're here to see a good show like um mm -hmm. therefore they want you to succeed they're rooting for you like that that's good yeah that, i never so, felt so, that way but that's good <laughs> yeah we have the, we have this like kind like of perception of, of hostility and that's not what it is like mm -hmm. they they came to see a good show and they want you to be good um mm -hmm. uh, another thing is like the uh, um um, I don't know if it has, like, if there's a word for it. I kind of, I tend to call it the adrenaline spectrum, where it's like... Um, Sounds scientific. Continue. <laughs> um, so, so uh, on, on one end of the spectrum, you have, you have stage fright, um, where you're actually afraid to go on stage. Your adrenaline is firing so much that you're kind of paralyzed. Um, on the other end, you have people who have been... Um, who have gotten over their stage fright so much that they have like a, a lack of any adrenaline response. And that can, that can be a source of, uh, um, of, of apathy, which can damage your performance in another way. Mm. And that, and then in between, uh, in the middle of the spectrum, you have a pleasing excitement that keeps you focused on, on the task at hand. 
So I was, I, I was trying to make sure that I'm falling somewhere in the middle. Mm. Just scared enough. <laughs> just scared enough. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense though, that's cool. Oh my gosh, it's so funny. <laughs> and I've always known some people, I always was so jealous of them. People would be like, oh, you know, like I perform my best under pressure. And I was like, must be nice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> really stuck with me was that like the person who we, who's paying attention the most is you. Like you always assume people are, like, I don't know about you, but I always feel like people are watching me a lot more than I know that they are. Like, I know, like, very instinctually that no one is looking, like, this hard. No one is noticing all these tiny things that, like, There's I'm Christine. <laughs> She's walking. She's breathing. Oh, she's walking. Like, I feel like conscious about like the way I like walk or the way that I look sometimes when there's like a lot of like people around. I'm like, oh, they're like gonna know they're gonna be like she wa she's walking really strangely or like she's like she can tell like I'm not looking up enough. Like you always assume <laughs> people, like thinking the worst or like looking at you a lot more than you are like noticing a lot more details than you are. And I think that like kind of helped me slowly get over that fear. Just like knowing that like that image that you have of how you did or like how you performed. Because for me, like, no matter, like, how good a speech or something was or, like, performance was, like, I'm always, like, internally criticizing, like, you know, like, oh, there was that one section that could have been so much better. If I had just rehearsed that last section, yeah, like, I knew cool. I was going to trip up on that part. Um, there's nitpicking these very little things. And, like, no one else does that but you. Most right. definitely. Totally. And it's so hard, I feel like, to see your own improvement when you're like that. Um, I'm like that too. I say that being like, I'm like that too. <laughs> he has to just let me know all the time. Like, just take it easier. Like that was really good. It was, you know, it was great. Don't worry about it anymore. Um, Cause at least for me, like, oh gosh, more, one of my more recent things has been learning guitar. So I'm mostly a vocalist. Um, I probably till the day I die, identify as just being a vocalist. Like I even saying musician feels weird to me. I don't know why. Um, but I've learned guitar where I'm work, still working on learning it. Like I can play stuff, but I want to get better. Mostly just because I finally got sick and tired of having to ask people to accompany me to things. Um, so if I got a gig for something, I'd always have to be like, well, maybe I can accept it. Just let me ask my posse of musicians over here. If anyone can come with me and play for me so I can sing for this. Um, it, it, got, it got old enough that I was like, you know what? This is possible. I can learn. But kind of like I was mentioning earlier, was like growing up, like that's one regret I wish um, was a little bit different, which I, I don't want to sound like I blame my parents for. It's just my family wasn't really like that. You know, we all have families who like our parents or grandparents might just be um, more influential in certain areas of life than others. And one of them for us was just not really pushing music or like not really encouraging that. Um, I just kind of stumbled upon it, but I really wish I learned a music and musical instrument when I was young. So I picked up guitar, but oh my gosh, I've gotten better now. But the first like year and a half, I wouldn't even pick up the thing because like you're saying, Christine, I would just nitpick everything I did. And I would like slowly resent the instrument. It was like beyond me at that point. I would just resent even looking at it, um, which was very damaging. I, and I know Connor's seen it. I would like become a monster lady just because of how angry I'd be with myself for messing up small things and he's like you're learning still like oh my gosh like would you have done this when you were like learning cursive in grade school no and then I and then I would tell him like well actually I was that kid I was that kid I was <laughs> actually yes hold on now that argument doesn't work <laughs> my, my parents would make fun of me all the time for like 
I would be drawing something on paper with a pencil. And instead of erasing my mistake, I'd wad up the paper and throw it away. Because I could still see the mark that was wrong. Like, so again, perfectionism, I feel you, Christine. <laughs> but it's weird to see like that carry over into adulthood in a different form and be like, wow, I still haven't conquered that. Ooh, I need to work on that some more. I, ha I had a friend recently who um, was, was sharing something on Facebook about like, like, I thought, like, oh man, how could I be such a perfectionist and also lazy at the same time? And, <laughs> and I, was, I, I was thinking about that. Like and I, particular someone I know. <laughs> Maybe it is, y'all can talk Maybe. later. <laughs> um, but, but I was thinking about it and, and I, I thought, you know, I, I wonder if, if perfectionism isn't the cause of a lot of apparent laziness in the world. Um, because people, um, people who, who struggle with perfectionism, like you, you don't want to start anything unless you can do it perfectly and you know that you won't. Um, right. That, that seems to be the kind of thing that, that you, you know, you've been talking about. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. It's just easier to look at a beautiful guitar on a stand, just chilling, doing its own thing, being great at being beautiful. <laughs> Instead of me picking it up and strumming chords, it sounds terrible. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny. Right. Even though everybody has to be bad before they can be good. Super true. Super mm -hmm. true. Yeah, I know I definitely relate to that. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, it's the weird and beautiful process of change. Um, <laughs> and, you know, just oftentimes, you know, we just, we just don't see it. I, I also struggle with, um, internal nitpicking as well. One of my biggest frustrations, um, for sure, just like, just, you know, just dealing with those voices inside of my head. Um, it's like, come on, just, just calm down. Uh, you'll, you, you know, you're getting through it. Um, it's, it's going to be good. It's going to be okay. Um, and I don't know, it's just. I know I've definitely just questioned, um, you know, or, or doubted my ability sometimes when um, the music that I'm playing isn't sounding like what I envision it or like hear it um, in my head to be um, or, or whatnot. <clears throat> and, and so I know I just, you know, just collapse under like the, the weight of like my own self-criticism and <laughs> it's, it's hard sometimes. Um, but just, just recently, um, <clears throat> I played an adoration for um, Christine and I's Newman Center. And afterwards, um, my friend Sawyer pulls me aside. And, and she tells me, you know, like, just this whole year that you've been playing adoration for us, I think you, you get better every time. And you know, I'm just, that's just what I, you know, really needed to hear. And, you know, in that so moment. Awesome. Yeah, just mm. positive affirmations. Um, they do a lot. Because right. our, um, our own progress is often so slow that it's imperceptible to us. We need to hear it from somebody else. Yeah. Mm, so that was really nice. That was very, I was just so giddy afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, all the hard work is paying off. It is Someone told off. me it is. Yes. yes. It's, yes. it's being noticed even when I don't notice it. Definitely. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. 
And I don't know about you guys, but like if, if you've ever heard anybody, like if you ever go out and you listen to like a band perform or you go to a nice, like a, uh, some, something like a service or whatever, and you hear a band and you just think like, they're so great. Or this one person particularly like stands out to you as being so gifted or so good at what they do. And at least for me, I find it so easy to just like think in the back of my head, like, oh, they're so great. And I'm just going to walk away thinking how great they are. I'm not going to tell them. Like I get nervous to tell them, but, um, but it is so good for the reason that you say, Scott, like, even though they are so talented and maybe they know it, you know, yeah. and maybe they're very aware of that and very confident with their ability. Like you never know where they're at and maybe they could be really struggling because I mean, anything in life, any career choice we have isn't easy, but I mean, especially I think the arts in some capacity is like, it's a very challenging upstream battle to survive and thrive doing it yeah. as like a choice of career. So, or even as a side gig. So telling the people what they meant to you or what their music meant, meant to you. I mean, it's never wasted. Even mm -hmm. if they just, even if they disregard it, you're like, well, I told them, you know, and I felt inclined to do so. But clearly in your case, like that's exactly what you needed, which was really cool. I was still kind of just reeling like from the, from the experience too. <laughs> I can tell you're so yeah. smiley. This <laughs> <laughs> is making me think of like how, though I know the stakes are higher when we're adults than when we're kids, it's almost like amazing the extent of support like we give children when they're learning things. Yes. Yes. So much so like it's, I mean, I look back and remember all those like participation trophies and I know our age group is like totally like beat up because of that because we got all these <laughs> participation yeah. trophies that we never earned. Um, but hey, it was the adults that gave them to us, you know, so <laughs> we just accepted them because they were gold and they looked pretty and they said we did a good job. So, um, <laughs> but anyway, I digress. I just think it's so funny how um, no matter what the thing is a kid does, even when they are terrible at it at first, because that's what it takes to learn how much support they get. And there seems to be like no, no damage to their ego, even when they get old enough to realize they aren't doing great at it because they're still getting so much support. It's just, it makes me wonder like when the, when the, when the switch is flipped and whenever we experience kind of what we've talked about tonight, um, the, when the criticism becomes more apparent from within us or, mm. or from other people. But it seems like based on what we had talked about, most of it is, is within. Um, it's just so interesting how the pressure of the world very quickly just kind of, you know, overcomes us as hard as we try to um, suppress it or just ignore it and things like that. But gosh, I hope that, you know, the more we can, embrace like the childlike wonder of learning a new skill, the easier it is to actually enjoy things, even when we are maybe old and gray and still trying to get better at the things we've said tonight, like mm -hmm. piano or Taylor Swift on, <laughs> on <laughs> piano and just learning pop chords again and whatever mm -hmm. it may be. Um, yeah, it's just interesting how overly gracious adults are to kids. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And we aren't that way with each other even, you know, it's just interesting. It's true. It yeah. changes so quickly. And I find that really interesting with like the compliments thing. Cause I know for a really long time, I struggled with like believing or like accepting con like compliments because like when you're a child, you get like showered with them to where it's the point like, which are like genuine and which are like, oh, like we have to be nice to like children because they're like delicate. Um, mm. But I have a whole like trophies rant. That's for another time. But like, I'm a like, <laughs> like non-believer in trophies. Like 
I'm a kind of person that's like, you should just like want to win and like want to be good that like, you know, it doesn't matter if you get like a made in China, like trophy on like the weekend. Um, and I know it was insane when I was like in high school because like they were very much like the, you know, like no trophies mean that like you're working hard. Like we need to display them. And like their mom would like bring home like a bookshelf and like display them all. And they like, they come over to my house and they Christine, like, where the heck did you throw them? And like, I keep them in a trash bag in my like closet. Like they're still in a trash bag in my closet. Um, <laughs> and they'd be like, Christine, like, I'm going to kill you. Um, this is not how we act towards trophies. But I think it's like strange, like society's like normalize that to where the point, I don't know. For me, like it was always like winning and like wanting to be good at things. Like the trophy was just kind of like a souvenir. Like, you know, like one of those like magnets that you buy, like when you go like on a cheap trip, but like you don't ever like think twice about it. Right. Yeah. No, I I honestly kind of love that you think that. And as you were as you were saying that, I was thinking about how it's so similar with school. Like one of my clients is still a student in college. She's at Maryville while she's learning independent skills and stuff. And um, I've learned this semester that she really struggles with like knowing how to study, like the basics of how to study. And for her, it's very clear that all that really matters is the end grade. And I've had conversations recently with like friends that have become teachers and stuff and how that's basically it is like kids are being taught to achieve the grade. Um, and that's just kind of how things are, at least for right now, with at least a portion of, you know, our education, but it seems like a very similar thing where like you're working for the outcome, you're working for a number, you're working for the color trophy you get, gold or silver or bronze or whatever it may be that- A green participation though. Yeah, oh, I know. <laughs> the trophies definitely beat the ribbons though, I gotta say, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's like the process of what it took to get there is so underappreciated. And I think that's part of where, I know you've seen my conflicts and problems with learning guitar, but that's exactly it. It's like, I was wait, I've been waiting so long to be good that I don't even want to practice and put in the time it takes to get there. Um, so your analogy of the trophies is just like, a great kick in the butt for me at least but yeah it seems like that's apparent like everywhere whether a trophy is included or not just like that here's the end that you want to achieve forget what it takes to get there that part's the not not the important part because that's not what people see yeah right. and i think it's like such like a terrible way that like the education system kind of like changes things because i know that like i coached kids in like debate after i graduated high school and like something that was frustrating for me was like you know, like, they were like, how do I get trophies like you did? How do I, like, win all the time? Like, I just want to, like, I just want to be, like, the champion. Um, but, like, I was always very much, like, if you can, like, improve, like, the process and, like, just get better at, like, the actual, like, skill, then, like, the trophies just come along, like, very naturally. Like, yeah. if you're just focusing on winning this trophy this one time, like, you might get that trophy, but that's the only one you're going to get. Like, the only yeah. way you're going to get, like, more of them is, like, if you actually work on, like, the actual, like, skill. And I think so many people are focused on like getting it like that one time hit and like then like the next time has to be like that one time hit goal again. Um, or like how like I noticed some people like they'll like set the bar really low for themselves like not because like they think that they're not going to get there but that like if they set the bar low like they won't disappoint themselves and then like they slowly like raise that bar higher until they can disappoint themselves and like I've seen countless kids that I coach do that where like you know like oh like Christine you don't have to worry about me like my goal is just to make it to the next day and then like once they make it to the next day like the goal is now to get like at least the bronze medal and then like once they get like third it's like no I need to be like the champion and it like keeps going until like they have to disappoint themselves and I think that's like mm. so sad that, like that's the way that like kids like in competition are like trained yes 
it's, yeah, that, it's, I think it's a really difficult problem because there's a, there's a balance to be struck here. Um, I, think, I think when you're learning a new skill, um, it has to be fun at first or you won't do it. Um, like I, I remember when I, when I was teaching, um, teaching guitar, I, I would always like, you know, um, at, at first I would try to find, you know, fun, enjoyable music for these kids to play that they would actually like. Um, you know, I, I, I know that if they stick with it, they'll be, they'll be where I was in college, you know, doing, um, you know, doing like difficult college repertoire, practicing three hours a day and, um, you know, having having really long hours of work before you before you can experience that joy of success um but they're not ready for that right away um and i think i think having too much of that initially can can maybe turn people off of it and, and make them not want to pursue that skill anymore mm-hmm. but um but, but i also i also kind of i really appreciate what you're saying i think there's a balance to be struck here and i am far from knowing what it is Yeah, what an interesting thing. I feel like we opened a can of worms that now I, I, I feel the need to solve. But <laughs> I'm not ready to solve. <laughs> Coaching is an interesting challenge in itself, but like you obviously don't want them to fail all the time because like failure sucks. But like, yeah. I feel like sometimes people get into a like habit where it's like we have to feed all the success at the beginning and then like they can have their sucky, like I suck phase in the middle and then like they'll figure it out. Um, yeah, it's not motivating. Like, I think you need like some wins at the beginning, obviously. Like you need some sort of confidence booster. You're not going to keep going. But it makes me sound like people are like, oh, I peaked when I like first started. Like that's it. Um, and they get into that like, you know, like the middle phase where like you're past that like initial bump of success that was like, wow, I'm actually kind of good at this. But you're not like as good as like the people who are the best at it. So then you're in this weird like, am I good at it phase? Or like, was I only good when I started? Like good for someone who started. Yeah, you know, I think with uh, just like everything, um, it's good to, you know, find that support system to help you along, along the way. Um, you know, just like vo- people or like voices in your life that remind you of, um, you know, what is true, just like whatever um, your endeavors may be in life. Take along a few friends and loved ones with you. Amen to that. It's always enormously important. Mm-hmm. All right, so I think we're actually coming in to the end of our time here, guys. Um, That's crazy, it flew by. (laughs) I know, I know. (laughs) Sign of a good time. Right, right. Totally. (laughs) Yep, good conversations, good conversations, guys. Yeah, Connor, Rachel, I just wanna say thank you again for coming on the show with us and just sharing your, your wonderful insights and wisdom with us thank you so much for having us agreed thank you so much scott and christine anytime you guys are awesome and amazing host thank you this has been awesome (laughs) and it's just a final word of thanks to a couple of other people who have made this podcast happen to jesse martinez our executive producer to liz murphy our marketing consultant and designer, to Eric Stars, our public affairs director, and to Michael Schreiner, our strategy consultant. See you all next time. Stay cultured and loud. Loving you isn't the right thing to do.
never change things that I feel If I could, maybe I'd give you my world How can I, when you won't take it from me You can go your own way Go your own way You can call it another lonely day Go your own way Go your own way Tell me why Everything turned around Packing up Shacking up All you want to do If I could Maybe I'd give you my world Open up Everything's waiting for you you can go your own way, go your own way. You can call it another lonely day. You can go your own way, go your own way. You can go your own way